Here at the Holy Hive Show, we consider ourselves to be a jolly, wholesome group of people, but we feel the need to remind you, the listener, that our show does contain uh, strong language. We tend to discuss adult themes, and every now and then we'll take part in the occasional satanic ritual. So, you know, please use discretion. Thank you. Welcome to the Holy Hive Show, a podcast about Utah culture, current events, and everything great in the Beehive State. I'm Jordan Delacruz here with production wizard and amateur bilinguist Dan Lawler. Dan, what's up? Oh, not so much, man. It's a uh, it's Thomas Crapper Day. I did a little research on today. It was like I got to stop saying nothing when you ask me what's going on. So I thought I'd let you know it's <laughs> Thomas Crapper Day, who was the man who popularized and perfected the toilet. So shouts to him. Right on, Thomas Crapper. Is that? I'm assuming that's where the word crap comes from. I would have guessed so. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that. Uh, how, how long that uh, that that last name lived after Thomas Crapper passed away? They got it out in the next generation. They, they had to have. Yeah, they had to get get away with yeah. that. Everyone just keeps saying, "Let's take a like take a crap," and it's and it's bad for family business. Uh, well, happy to- uh, Thomas Crapper Day. Happy Thomas Crapper Day. So today on the. <laughs> Today on the show, we'll cover a couple news stories from this week, followed by a discussion about gun ownership in Utah. Then we'll wrap up with a preview of the 2021 Sundance Film Festival, which started. Did it start today? I believe it starts tomorrow, that- but it could be today, man. Who knows? Groundhog Day and all of that with <laughs> this virtual stuff. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea how any of this is playing out. Um, so it's going to be adventure, uh, an adventure of discovery for all of us. Uh, before we jump into it, just want to remind our listeners that you can watch the video version of the Holy Hive Show on YouTube. Just be sure to subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Holy Hive Utah to keep up with everything going on in the Holy Hive realm. Enough with the chit chat. Let's get into the news. So Utah lawmakers are entertaining the possibility of a new branding project that involves Utah's state flag. During the Senate Government Operations and Political Subdivisions Committee meeting, which you know, let's find a better name for that committee. That's horrible. For sure. I mean, like, how Wordy. many words can you can you put into one thing? Yeah. So that committee met on Friday. Senators discussed uh, Senate Bill 48, which is a Senate bill aimed at creating a task force in charge of discussing the need for a, a redesign of the Utah state flag. So it's not even a bill to change the state flag. It's just to get some people together to discuss the possibility of, of, uh, of, 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 of a new state flag. The commitment with uh, the Senate is... Is, is rough. They need to work on their commitment to, to these solutions. Uh, opinions about a possible change were split between uh, both citizens and senators, some saying that the flag needs a long overdue update, and some saying that the flag is a part of history itself. In the end, the bill passed recommendation by the committee, three to two, and will be argu- argued further in the Senate. So on this show specifically, we've talked about Utah state symbols, We've talked about the redesign of Salt Lake City's flag, and now here we are talking about uh, Utah's flag. So how do you feel about a possible rebrand with Utah State flag, Dan? Well, before I even read the article, I had the thought, like, I feel like half of the United States of America could use a rebrand in terms of their state flag because most of them are just, like, navy blue flags with uh, the, the state kind of, like, 
emblem on it or like whatever. 60% of all of the, the state flags are Navy with something. Exactly. And then when I got into the yeah. article, that was one of the exact arguments that, that the person <laughs> who posed it brought up. He's like, look, uh-huh. we could be doing something much more innovative. And so I, I think that, sure, I mean, I'm always down for a rebrand. And since we are the forefathers of Utah rebrands, it seems, um, <laughs> I think what we say goes here. Yeah, right? We're, we're going to figure this out here and now. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. The flags, just everything navy blue, some kind of crest or symbol in the middle. Um, and yeah, I think it's tired. I think we need to bring our, our state flags into the 21st century. And um, this argument that some of the uh, senators were saying about, you know, the flag is history. I think that's kind of silly because history is not always good. No. And much like the various uh, incarnations of the American state, American flag you know we have like 10 different versions of the the flag and how it evolved throughout the country's history it evolves like, as the country evolves yeah exactly yeah yeah and those and those can stay uh pieces of history and and guess what as soon as we make a new flag that new flag then slowly becomes history yeah i mean so, just kind I mean, of think, on its yeah. face it has to be considered history i mean everything is history man like yeah <laughs> it is a very silly argument Last week's episode of the podcast was history. It's That's history right. now. It is. And, we're, and, and right here, you, you guys are listening to history in the making. So get used to it. Um, so uh, the, the other thing that we've discussed on this podcast uh, in relation to government-mandated rebrands uh, is the half-assed ways in which new flags are designed, uh, often by unpaid contest entries. So how do, we, how do we ensure that the new flag is actually designed well? I think that we have to, like, I do understand the desire to put it out into, like, almost a a contest sort of situation. But I think you just got to hire, like, a local artist, someone who is good in the field of, like, whether it is designing coat of arms or a specialist in coat of arms. Like, just come up with something that is symbolic to Utah but also don't make it just kind of like a do it by committee thing like we did with the Salt Lake flag, which is admittedly I've really warmed up to that Salt Lake flag. Um, yeah. But I still don't love that they basically made a Franken flag and like took two different contestants, you know, and just mashed yeah. them together. So, I mean, yeah, let's just hire somebody to do it. Yeah. It's like if we if they took the Super Bowl and they're just like, you know what? Both teams did really good. So we made two uh, Lombardi trophies this year, and uh, everyone gets one. That's right. Um, I but yeah, I agree. I think we need to hire. I think we need to get. We go two, one or two ways. One, we ju- the government just puts out a, a, a request for bids from local uh, creative agencies somewhere in Utah, people that live here, and we could get professionals on this. Mm-hmm. Or we need like like a celebrity creative director. Like, do you know how sometimes, uh, like, fashion companies and stuff will just hire celebrities as creative directors for new products or initiatives? Yeah. We need someone like that. Like, maybe we could get, like, Tan France okay. to be the creative director <laughs> for the new flag. Like, he's he's lived here. I think he's not from here, but he's lived here long enough that I feel like he has some insight. And we know he's got style, so, like, let's just, let's just get him. Let's let him do it. <laughs> it's like when it. Chrissy Teigen yeah. put out some pots and pans for Target. Exactly. 
Yeah, 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 exactly like that. I had another example of that happening. I can't remember. Maybe it was Kanye and, and Adidas or something like that. Well, there's the there's the I... recent McDonald's like stuff where they just keep getting all these hip hop artists to make meals. Yeah. <laughs> the Travis Scott meal. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see Travis Scott's version of the Utah flag. Me too. Um, so I mean, if 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 you know, we were hired to think up an idea or a concept for a new Utah state flag. What what would you lean as far as design direction? I think you'd have to go with like, so it's a, more of an old school flag where they used to be more uh-huh. triangular. Like, I don't know when we really adopted the rectangle flag, but yeah. I would want a triangular flag that is reminiscent of a construction cone. And it just says, <laughs> and it just says Utah speed fines doubled in construction zones. Okay. So in my notes, I wrote down three ideas for a flag. Idea B, an orange flag with the outline of a construction cone. <laughs> See? So I'm glad that our head's in the same space for the this. The arbiters it's, it's are already, It's already a great idea. Yeah, we throw that up on a, on a flagpole in front of the Capitol. It's just going to connect with Utahns like mm-hmm. nothing else. Um, my other ideas were uh, just use, just take Uinta's 801 beer label and put it on a flag. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think that would be... I think that would be pretty dope. We, you know, we already got good design. Probably be pretty cheap to to license the rights. Um, it's not then, too busy. Uh, it's I, like very kind. It's like yeah. a, it's just a very clean and simple design, which is what you want from most flags. Yeah, and and you know, I know eight hundred one isn't the only area code in Utah, so there is a little bit of elitism, you know, going there. But you know, every people people need to know their place, especially yeah. especially area code wise. You know, eight hundred one's elite. You kind of get into the four three fives, and then there's like the bottom of the barrels, like the three eight fives. You know, well, Delicate Arch isn't the only arch in Utah, and it's the only one that gets any play. So you know, right? Yeah, um, and then I like how you mentioned the the rethinking of the shape of a flag, because I thought about that too when I was like looking at this. I'm like, why do we always go square? You know, uh, why why don't we you bring back the uh, the like double triangle flag that looks mm-hmm. like a you know like a banner? Has a has a, a lot better flappability, you know. Oh, in the absolutely! Wind. More aerodynamic. Cooler. Yeah, <laughs> and I thought, what if we just cut the corner out of the flag so it looked like Utah? <laughs> so literally, our flag is just shaped like Utah. Oh, I love it! Not a bad idea. Not at all. All right. Uh, next story. So. Uh, Actually, a lot of our stories this this week are going to be dealing with uh, a lot of the bills that are being discussed right now at Capitol Hill because that was basically a lot of what was going on in the news this week. Uh, so uh, there's another bill going through the the state Senate right now. This one's nicknamed the Blow Dry Bar Bill. And the text of this bill would reform rules around cosmetology licensing, essentially making it so people could work in salons, styling hair, and, you know, doing blow drying, curling... Thing, washing, conditioning, stuff like that. Basically everything besides cutting and coloring. And they could do that without a cosmetology license. This would this would um, basically allow local salons to hire stylists who are not fully licensed to perform less intensive services to customers. Uh, when speaking to KUTV, Michael Wells, a stylist at Sugar House's Blow Blow Dry Bar, said his cosmetology license took 1,600 hours to acquire. And he has concerns about safety and sanitation when it comes to running a salon. Uh, Charlene Ignacio, who's a manager at the Blow Blow Dry Bar, says she's interested in a hybrid solution that allows bigger a bigger pool of potential employees while being able to offer in-house training. 
So I, when, I, when I saw this, I thought this was really interesting because uh, I was unaware of actually how long it took for someone to get a cosmetology license. It's no joke. Um, it's about twice as long as it takes to become a police officer, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. And I thought that was interesting because that was a big topic of conversation last year. Um, and, uh, you know, the risk for being a bad hairstylist is like you get a bad haircut. Maybe you burn your ear on a curler. Um Bad police officer. I think the uh, the results can be much worse. Um, so should we just let go of licensing for stylists rather um, rather than people that just like cut or color hair? Like, do we need these licenses really? I feel like we need some form of licensing. I don't know if sixteen hundred hours is is really you know that seems so dramatic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I and I'm speaking completely out of ignorance here. I do not even have hair, so. Like at this point, <laughs> I am probably the least um, qualified person to speak on this. But mm-hmm. sixteen hundred hours just seems like a lot, especially in terms of like what this situation is, where it's like you're just doing the more kind of cosmetic stuff of the cosmetology. Yeah. Like you're you're just doing the blow drying, the shampooing, the curling, and that sort of stuff. And I mean, like what Mike says in that, in so far as that, like it's, it could be a safety concern with, with curlers and, and, yeah. and dyes and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, like how long does it take to get a food handler's permit? I feel like putting the things we put in our body are probably a bit more dangerous than the things that are happening to our hair. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that too, as far as like other things that we need licenses for dangerous equipment that we're able to operate. I, I was thinking of like a, a skillet at Chili's. Like, so someone could drop a skillet off, and you could burn yourself on that. We kind of just trust the customer not to be dumb. Um, I guess the curler thing is in like someone else's hand, so it's not quite the same thing. But, um, but yeah, I think I think. It, well, here's the thing. Bes- besides the sanitation concerns, which I think are not really, it's not a problem because, like you said, with food. The, the potential for uh, sanita- sanitation regulations to go horribly wrong and someone to get sick, that, that there's a bigger risk there. Um, but that's something that I feel like you could just learn on the job. Like if you get hired somewhere, you could just learn sanitation protocol. And um, and then, yeah, the, really the only thing is just like hot tools, like mm-hmm. not burning someone. Um, but people take their hair very seriously. And I think in the age of Yelp and Google reviews – we don't really need licensing for like quality control. True. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna some people are gonna <laughs> some people are gonna have to take bullets uh, as we work out the best salons in in our neighborhoods. But um, I think if if someone sucks at their job, people are gonna find out pretty quickly and they're gonna lose business. Um, also, this got me thinking. Uh, we we need like a dude version of the blow dry the blow blow dry bar. <laughs> you know, we like do a dude spa. Not and I'm not talking about like a barbershop. Like there's a lot of those barbershops where it's like we're we're guy oriented and um, we got sports on the TV and and stuff like that. I'm talking about like a place where a dude can just go in and get like a glow up, you know, mm-hmm. like a they just rub some dirt like, on your like, face. <laughs> yeah, the anti glow up. It's like uh, the ma- the manly glow up. No, I'm 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 serious. I'm talking like manicures, pedicures, but the, like you can only get manicures and pedicures in like nail salons, you know. I mean, unless you go to like a really fancy spa or something, but we need like a dude-oriented manicure, pedicure, facials, shaves, 
get your eyebrows plucked, everything. So it's not just like strictly a haircut. Like you could just go in there and kind of get tuned up, you know? Yeah, let's normalize self-care across the, the gender, you know, landscape. Yes. Normalize self-care for dudes. We could call it the the bro dry the blow the bro dry bar. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Or the bro blow dry bar. The blow the bro blow drive dry. Yeah, we're getting we're getting bar. we're getting there. License it. Let's file a patent. We're doing this. All right. Uh, next story. Shaq beef reaches House of Representatives. Uh, so Shaq continues to irk Utahns, and now our local government. After an awkward post-game interview with Utah Jazz star Donovan Mitchell, when Shaquille O'Neal called into question Mitchell's potential, many Utahns voiced their annoyance, and now the Utah House of Representatives are involved. Uh, Representative Kira Berkland of Morgan introduced a resolution on Tuesday that seeks to recognize the exemplary service of Donovan Mitchell to the Utah Jazz while also suggesting uh, to consider, quote-unquote, Spida as the official state arachnid. Uh, Berklin presented the bill dressed in a referee uniform, and uh, when all was said and done, the resolution passed by a vote of 67 to 5. Among uh, the the praise for Donovan Mitchell, the bill also kind of throws shade at Shaq. Uh, It mentions his uh, movie Kazam, where he plays a genie, and the fact that it only has 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I would be among states- that 5% positive, <laughs> all right? I would be. Yeah, you're a Shaq fan? Or a I'm Kazam a Kazam fan? fan, dude. That was a fun movie when I was a kid. I haven't seen it since <laughs> I was like six years old, but that shit was amazing. I have to revisit Kazam. Uh, also states that Shaq underdevelops his takes worse than his 1990s video game Shaq Fu. I'm less familiar He's, with Shaq I feel Fu. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, neither am I. I honestly feel like... Uh, Representative Berkland is probably not familiar with Shaq Fu, and I doubt she's seen uh, Kazam. Uh, it seems like a lot of these, like, because every every line of this resolution was like a dig. Mm-hmm. That it feels like it, she just pulled them off Twitter. Like she just went through a bunch of threads of annoyed Utahns and pulled all these uh, all these digs at Shaq off of Twitter. And the kind of big concern, or the the voice of concern uh, with this whole resolution, was that. Uh, our, our local representatives might, this might not be the time or place for this type of thing. And so like, what do you think? Is this a good use of elected officials time? It is. It's hilarious that this question is posed in this story when there's a direct quote from a politician in the flag story where they're saying like his constituents are upset that they're wasting their time on a flag redesign, but no one, yeah. you know, like, but none of those people are worried about wasting time on this thing. Like, Absolutely, they should not be using their time Mm -hmm. for this. (laughs) Like, 100% they should not be using their time for it, especially because, like, it's so, I don't know, it is so pandering. Like, it is incredibly pandering. The referee uniform and then the Speaker of the House or whatever, the leader of the House was wearing his Donovan Mitchell jersey. Like, Mm -hmm. and the sad thing is, and I am not the first to make this point, so this isn't, like, some great point by me, but... Donovan Mitchell is incredibly outspoken about his like politics and his political beliefs. And if they really wanted to honor Donovan Mitchell, they would consider some of the things that he says, like in the realm of social justice and not like care so much about what Shaq says. Like, it's just, it is Mm -hmm. very silly. Like I'm not like 
furious about it or anything, but there is like a pandemic going on and this yeah. next summer is sure to be filled with wildfire since we have like zero snowpack. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there is so much stuff that they could be doing instead of this. And I get that it was probably like a 30 minute thing in in the house that has turned into like a two day news cycle at this point. But yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, ideally, I would like to get back to where this isn't a problem. That would be nice because stuff like this, I actually do. I, I enjoy people not taking themselves too seriously, but there's also a time and a place. And I, I would like to get back to the point where our, our local leaders are kind of having fun with things. But de- like right now in this moment is definitely not the climate for this type of thing. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we can't have fun and be wholesome and stuff like that. But like, as far as like, paid representatives of our state like someone they're like all these things about kazam and shack fu i pulled directly from the public resolution that was written out and submitted in in a format that uh, makes it official so someone spent time and their salary organizing this for an upcoming session a session that could be used to solve any number of problems in our community. And they spent their time doing this. Not only that, but this came pretty short after the whole Shaq Donovan Mitchell fiasco. Mm-hmm. Like it was pretty quick. So it almost seems like as soon as this happened, it seems like uh, uh, Representative Berklin like had nothing to bring to the table for the session. She's like, oh, I got nothing. And then she, you know, was watching the jazz game, watches the post game interview, and she's like, hey. Now, okay, now I got something that I can bring to the table. <laughs> it just makes me wonder. So this is a representative from Morgan, Utah. I wonder if Morgan's just just has it so well right now that, you know, they're not really worried about anything. So, that you know, they, they just got time to kill. I mean, I don't want to speak for the entire town, but uh, <laughs> nothing doesn't seem like much is going on in Morgan right now. No, not particularly. I haven't been to Morgan in quite some time, but I'll have to take a visit up there and see if they're all just, like, fucking just around chilling. all day. Yeah, not economy's fine. They're kind of it's it's very secluded. It is up like uh, Morgan Canyon mm-hmm. between Ogden and whatever the hell's on the other side of the mountains. Yeah, <laughs> from Ogden, but Taggart's Grill. Uh, yeah, Taggart's Grill, exactly. <laughs> going into our next story, which we're going to get a little more in depth with. This is another bill. This time uh, brought to the Utah House of Representatives. Um, House Bill 60, uh, this, is, this is a bill that was introduced this week that would allow anyone uh, over the age of 21 to conceal and carry a firearm without a permit as long as they abide by current conceal and carry laws and regulations. Um, so, yeah, that's just it. Right now in Utah, you need a permit, meaning you go to a class, you undergo some, some education and um, some instruction on how to properly conceal and carry a firearm you get your permit and then you're able to carry it. But after this law, if this law passes, um, then you just have to be 21. You don't have to have your permit or anything like that to conceal or carry. So um, does this does this seem like a good idea? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't jump off the page as a good idea. And I know that you mentioned that, like, if it passes, it sounds like it's going to pass. Um, yeah, yeah. I know that this has come up in the past and Governor Herbert has vetoed it or former Governor Herbert mm-hmm. has vetoed it. And uh, Spencer Cox has indicated that he would not do so. Um, but yeah. it doesn't 
no, it doesn't personally jump off the page is a good idea. And this is another one of those sort of like talking out of pocket situations where like uh-huh. I don't own a gun. I don't typically like hang around hang around with guns, you know what I mean? So it's not as yeah, if yeah. I'm really the target demo for this. Um and I don't really care about the whole constitutional mm-hmm. right sort of thing that everybody really uses as their yeah. main argument, especially given that it's 21 and up. Does the Constitution not apply to, to 18-year-olds or 16-year-olds? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so that's a bit confusing. Um, the main thing that I took away from this was that in the KSL article, they're talking about how one of the sponsors of the bill is already talking about how they can transfer some of the unused funds um, from the permit fees that the states that the state collects to the Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health for prevention for suicide and other mental health issues. And if and if you're already planning to mitigate potential tragedy before a bill is passed, maybe that bill should not pass. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of it's like my, my read on it. If you're already like, okay, well, if we do this, we can push money over to, to suicide prevention because there might be more mm-hmm. of that. And it's like, okay, well, then don't do it. It's a fucking class yeah, yeah. to get a permit. It's like yeah. not very hard. No, yeah. And that that's like without getting into any of the the politics about our our gun laws, the constitution or gun culture or anything like that. I I am pretty neutral on guns. Like I think citizens should be able to arm themselves. However, I think tons of citizens are really dumb and quick to anger <laughs> and permits the reason why we have permits is it, it a permit is basically a certificate that says you went through the classes you partook of the education needed to properly operate one of these guns and not only that but to store it properly um and to know where you can and cannot carry it and what you need to do when you're carrying it um and so w- when we introduce this it, i know it sounds like oh well you get your freedom back you don't have to you don't have to go through any of the permit stuff or anything like that you can just go buy a gun and, and carry it. Well, the, the thing is, is there's still laws that you have to abide by when you're uh, carrying a, a concealed firearm. So just as an example as, as to uh, some of those, those, those laws, so like, um, so like, for example, open carry in, in Utah. So uh, to open carry in Utah, you need a permit, but you can also open carry without a permit as long as it's unloaded and at least two actions from being fired. So two actions would be like, um, uh, uh, like putting a, putting the clip in and racking it. Those are like two different actions before you can fire it. Um, so uh, and 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 to be fair, the the age uh, requirement right now for concealed carry is eighteen. So I think between eighteen and twenty one. I actually didn't read to this into this part of the bill, um, but right now you only need to be eighteen to go through a conceal and carry class. So I think people under 21 would still need to take to, to get that permit, but then you would need it as soon as you're 21, three years later. Um, so there's uh, there's ways that you need to uh, store your gun. I know that uh, in your in your if you're going to carry it in your vehicle, um, you need to you or originally you would need to have a permit, um, and it would need to be like a certain uh, number of actions away before you could fire it. So there's like different laws and regulations in place for how you carry your gun. And now that's completely out the window. 
And so I, I'm wondering what's going to happen if, you know, people are literally walking around with loaded guns in their holsters and they get in trouble and they're like, well, isn't it my right to, to be able to do that? And it's like, no, to, to conceal and carry a permit, you actually need to have it in like a proper locked holster. It can, has to be out of view. It has to, it can't be loaded, it, you know, and people are going to be skipping all that stuff. And um, I've heard horror stories from people who have gotten these permits and gone to gun safety courses in order to get the permits. Um, and in those classes, there's been other people who have asked questions that are like, can I, can I shoot someone while they're running away? Like they're literally asking those questions in the classes. I know that sounds very anecdotal. This is something that I've actually heard from people that have gone through this class. So like that just goes to show that there's people that have the wrong idea of how you should operate or use firearms or what you can use them for, or how you're protected and using them to defend yourself. And all this house bill says to me is that we're just going to take the education out of it. And it, that the, the, the taking the education out of it is being disguised as like more freedom, mm-hmm. you know? And I will say, to be fair, that all of the people that I associate with or have associated with in the past who mm-hmm. uh, either own guns or like to use guns, uh, they're all the type of people who are very proactive about gun safety to begin with. You know, classes or no classes, they have shown time and again that like they care about that sort of stuff. Um, whether it was when I used to work at like the the trap club or when I would just go camping with friends and we'd shoot a pistol at a target, you know, because I like shooting guns too. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to fucking lie. Like I, yeah, yeah. it's, it's fun to shoot guns. It's fun to aim and try to hit something, whether it's with a rock, yeah. a gun or a slingshot, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I do think that, that, that is, that is something that should be said that most people I know personally, like they are taking the time and care to learn about this gun safety anyway. Um, but that is not everybody. So it is, you know, it is, it is a bit, worrisome but that's utah i guess do you do you ever see yourself owning a gun i'm not really sure um like i said i I do enjoy shooting guns whether at a range Mm -hmm. or in the mountains or whatever but it's hard for me to like see myself owning one at this point in my life and 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 the older i get the more i realize that that decision is not solely up to me you know i just moved in with my girlfriend and she would have Mm -hmm. a say in that sort of thing Um, yeah, yeah, I do technically, I mean, I don't know, there's a good chance my mom sold it or gave it away or something, but I do technically have dibs on my dad's old, uh, golden spike (laughs) commemorative, uh, 22. It's got a nice little gold plate on it and everything, but she very well could have sold that. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 yeah, in the same way, it's like, I can't ever see myself being like a, a, a conceal and carry type of person. Like I don't. I don't, I'm not, I'm not super paranoid about being in public places. No. And I, I think that a lot of the times uh, in, in terms of gun violence, they're isolated incidents of like, you know, when you hear about a gang shooting, it's usually not gangs going out, just blasting at the random public. It's beefs between people that know each other and things like that. And it's kind of funny that this whole thing got brought up this week because I've seen like three stories this week about gun violence in Utah so there was one instance in Utah County where a dude was driving his truck and there was some road rage between him and another car and he pulled out his gun and he shot at the car <laughs> and he said he was aiming at their tires or something like that, but it ended up, he ended up hitting like two people. And then there was another instance in South Salt Lake where 
someone they're they're kind of reporting on it as like a hate crime, but someone um, opened fire with first a paintball gun, then an actual handgun on uh, two Mexican citizens who were just at a gas station or something, and then the the, the people that were shot at actually ended up chasing them and 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 running their car up in, into something, or and that's how it ended. It ended in a chase, and now these two guys are being prosecuted for basically. Uh, first shooting at people and then calling them, you know, racial slurs, mm. and which is just a horrible look. I mean, if you're already, if you already know you're going to jail for shooting firearms at people, why are you just gonna like make it so much worse for yourself? It's a lethal um, combo. Yeah, yeah, and I can't remember what the third one is. There was a th- there was a third um, a, th- a third uh, uh, story about gun violence this week, um, but basically, like in the road rage situation. That's someone who, like, just lost their shit on 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 the road, and they were like, "I'm I'm gonna take this into my own hands now." And sometimes people just do that without thinking of the consequences, and I'm sure afterwards they probably regret it. But in that moment, it kind of doesn't matter. What happens mm-hmm. happens. I almost feel like we need like ver- versions of guns that are non-lethal, that aren't like not quite like the rubber bullet thing. I know that's like the police non-lethal weapon thing. We need like 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 hot sauce guns or something, you yeah. know? We just need phasers. Like, Set phasers to stun, dude. Yeah. Star Trek figured this out yeah. in the sixties. <laughs> yeah. Just need more tasers and stuff like that. Um I think the pepper spray, I think uh especially a lot of the dudes who are probably involved in gun culture probably think the uh, the pepper spray is a woman's weapon. And it doesn't have quite the uh, the satisfaction of pulling the trigger, you know, you kind of just spray it at someone. But if we had like a Glock with that sprayed pepper spray then I think people would feel cooler about using that to defend themselves and no one gets seriously injured. So maybe we could start creating some, we're coming up with great product ideas we today really on the show. Are. We really are. Yeah. So we, we need a pepper spray Glock or something like that. <laughs> and a hot sauce one. Yeah. And the hot sauce Glock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to film stuff. So Sundance is here. And we're excited to not have to wait in two-hour-long lines or brave treacherous hordes of celebrity hunters because Sundance will be screening a ton of their stuff uh, online so you can watch from home. And I'm not quite sure how all this is panning out and what stuff is happening online or offline. I know that I'm just looking at stuff that's uh, uh, online because I'm not even going to deal with it. I'm not even going to go up to Park City, any of that stuff. Um, So to commemorate this year's festival, I thought it would be cool if we talked about some of the movies we're most excited for. Obviously, there's not going to be as big of a pull or selection as in previous years, but there still are some really exciting-looking uh, films coming out of Sundance this year. So let's just start with our most anticipated. And, and Dan and I made our picks kind of separately, so we might have some of the same picks. But, um, Dan, what movies are you excited to see? Let, let's start with with you. Um, so I selected for my the ones I'm most excited for. I selected the ones that I'm actually seeing. Um Cool. Instead of just kind of going off the ones that I'm not, because I'm very excited, obviously, to watch the movies that I have tickets for. Mm-hmm. Um, for yeah. starters, they they added, just a couple of weeks ago, they added uh, Judas and the Black Messiah as a premiere movie. Mm-hmm. So it'll be on HBO in like three weeks, and it'll be in theaters in like three weeks, but it is premiering at Sundance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a film about 1960s Illinois when... Uh, William O'Neill, played by the always excellent Lakeith Stanfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, he agrees to work as an informant for the FBI, whose agent is played by the always excellent Jesse Plemons. 
Um, mm-hmm. And the whole idea is to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and uh, take down Fred Hampton, who is played by the always excellent Daniel Kaluuya. Um, they had a tra- this was yeah this was supposed to come out last fall sometime. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a trailer that came out, I think, in August or September, and it was fucking electric. Like, that is one of the most electric trailers I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. that awesome. I'm, I'm so, so very excited for that. Um, another one yeah. that I'm really excited for that I got a ticket for is my, it's my first film. So tomorrow at like 10 p.m., I got a film called Censor, which is about a, a film censor, someone who reviews movies and decides what they're rated and what to take out mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, and and she spends her life, you know, she has she takes pride in her work, protecting the audiences from the horrors of decapitation and eye gouging and all of that. Um, uh-huh. I, I guess she comes across a film that that is uh, that has echoes of her her childhood, and she begins to unravel and. The way it's described is that it's very like 1980s grunge, um, and the stills that mm. are released were very reminiscent of Mandy with Nicolas Cage. And so, like the yes. moment I saw like the stills, I was like, "All right, sign me up." And I love well, I love yeah. film censorship satire sort of shit too. A little so. grimy, yeah. And then yeah. my third and final that I'm really excited for um, is called Crypto Zoo. It is a mm-hmm. it looks like a an animated Wes Anderson film on acid. Like it's just I have no idea what to expect from it, but I guess it's about a child who has terrible nightmares until like a mythical beast comes and eats her dreams. And so she dedicates her whole life to, to protecting, um, to protecting mythical beasts as a crypto zookeeper. So it's got Lake Bell and Michael Sarah and that Russian guy from Fargo. I think he's Russian. Um, Oh yeah. 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 And so, I mean like those are some good voice artists. So I'm way excited for that one. Any, any that you're excited yeah. for? That, well, I was going to say about that last one, Sundance isn't usually the, the, the stage for animated films, so it's really exciting that something this cool is coming through. It also feels like very, like, Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kind of reminds me of, like, his, his kind of vibes. Yeah. So that's going to be really, really cool. So uh, you mentioned Judas and the Black Messiah earlier. That's another one that I'm really, really, really stoked for. Again, the cast is awesome. Also, someone you didn't mention. I'm surprised that he didn't as a West Wing fan. Ah, uh, yeah. Martin, Martin Sheen. Sheen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's written down. I was just going on and on about actors. So I was like, I'll leave it. <laughs> also, every time you mention Jesse Plemons, like anytime anyone mentions Jesse Plemons, I can't stop thinking about anything except game night yeah <laughs> when he plays the cop and he's like how, how could that be profitable for frito-lay it's the one of the best that, lines of the past decade it it's it's insane it almost overshadows like a, game night's a really good movie and that line almost overshadows the whole movie it's so good um so yeah judas and the black messiah super excited for that that it's just a movie that it's like it's one of those things and sundance always has these things where it's like we have a lineup of movies, and some of them are brand new. Some of them aren't even finished, and when they come out in eight months, they'll look a little different. And then there's these movies that are kind of finished and ready to go, and they already have all this buzz behind them. Like Judas and the Black Messiah, I think we can confidently say will show up at the Oscars this year. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it's almost like a safe bet. And every year Sundance has these kind of safe bet movies where you're like, this is the thing to see. It's already it's already got a lot of buzz behind it, and so uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is going to be awesome. Also, something that I'm really excited for with this movie is that uh, the two people that wrote this story um, are the Lucas brothers. Are you familiar with them? Oh, the twins. The twins, yeah. Yeah, I did not know that at all. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, 
They're two comedians. Uh, I, th- I think most people would probably know them from 22 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they're in that movie, and they room with uh, Channing Tatum and, uh, and Jonah Hill. And, uh, and then you might have seen their comedy. And then also, when they're just not doing comedy and stuff like that, they're huge activists. Like, they're very politically vocal. Um, they're always talking about um, uh, things going on in the black community. And so it, it, it kind of makes sense that they were the ones that wrote this. And I didn't know that they wrote it until I, I followed them on, uh, on Instagram and I saw they were posting a lot about it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I went into the cast and crew and saw that they had written the original story and, um, and now they're executive producing it as well. So that's, I just like seeing uh, like talent from other industries coming into film and seeing what they can do with that. So that's going to be really cool. I mean, and Ryan Coogler, uh, he's a, I think he's, he's Coogler, instrumental man. in it too. And that, that man is incredible. So yeah. Yeah, he's one of the people that I'm just, like, desperate. Like, I'm excited for Black Panther 2 and what they decide to do with that. But, like, Ryan Coogler is one of those guys that I'm desperate for, like, more just original work yeah, from him. 100%. Like, I just want to see – I just want him to do anything. Um, and then uh, some other movies that I'm excited for. So another one uh, is called On the Count of Three. And uh, this one is about a guy named Val who has reached a place where he feels only – his only way out is to end things but he considers himself a bit of a failure. His effectiveness lacking, so he he figures he uh, could use some help. As luck would have it, Val's best friend Kevin is recovering from a failed suicide attempt, so he seems like the perfect partner in executing a double suicide plan. But before they go, they have some unfinished business to attend to. So that's from the description on Sundance, uh, Sundance's website. Uh, pretty dark. Yeah, sounding. very, very dark. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I want to see this, like at first glance, I'm like, dang, I don't know if I'd want to see this. But the guy starring in it is Drod Carmichael, and Drod Carmichael is also directing it. Yeah. Um, have you seen any of his comedy, like his mm-hmm. HBO stand-up specials? Yeah, like, I love dude, it. Really, really beautiful in, stuff, which isn't what yeah, you normally like he, say about a comedy, yeah. but like, go. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's he's in that class of like deep thinking comedians, where he can bring up really interesting thoughts that get your brain moving and then he can just say the funniest shit about them and um i know he he like collaborates a lot with like bo burnham who does a lot of that kind of deep thinking comedy and i've just loved everything that Gerard carmichael has done um and so when i found out he got into directing i, I was super excited and i knew i remember hearing that maybe in an interview he did a couple of years ago that he was looking to get into directing and i had no idea that he had a movie at sundance until i was going through the program and saw this come up so that's if if it, the the dark premise of the of the story being like a, a double suicide between two friends sounds a, like pretty daunting and scary, but then I see Gerard Carmichael's on it and I'm like all my worries are gone. Yeah, and I'm like he's gonna have something to say here. It'll be, be undercut by some funny stuff too. Yeah, for sure. It's that gonna, one. So it's gonna be a dark comedy. That one sold out like crazy quick. I was like, mm-hmm. I I tried to get tickets to that one and it was it was impossible and. I got yeah. questions about how you sell out a virtual screening, but whatever, that's fine. <laughs> right? Um, so the other uh, the other movie that I'm pretty excited, I, I'm, I honestly don't know a, what's going on with this movie, but I think that could work out in its in its favor. Uh, it's called Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Yeah. Um, this is uh, a, just it just looks like the craziest, weirdest grindhouse movie ever. Um, so the uh, description on uh, I, or on uh, the Sundance program reads, in the treacherous frontier city of Samurai Town, 
A ruthless bank robber played by Nicolas Cage is sprung from jail by a wealthy warlord, the governor, whose adopted granddaughter, Bernice, has gone missing. The governor offers the prisoner his freedom in exchange for um, retrieving the runaway. Strapped uh, into a leather suit that will self-destruct within five days, the bandit sets off on a journey to find the young woman and his own path to redemption. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds ludicrous. (laughs) It sounds like the most batshit crazy movie. Also, there's a disclaimer at the bottom of the description that says contains extreme violence and gore. Can't go wrong with that. I'm not familiar with a a lot of the uh, people who made this movie. It seems like a lot of them... um, are either up and comers or are coming from uh, international markets. Um, the director Sion Sono, um, I think this might be his first American movie. I haven't looked into his. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. This marks his English language debut. So he's he's a foreign film director, and this is his first English speaking movie. And he scored Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I mean, like with the the last couple movies that Nicolas Cage has put out in. Um, so you see the last one was like that uh, Lovecraftian, uh, the color from space mm-hmm. movie. And then the one that you mentioned earlier that came out of Sundance, Mandy, which was kind of this dark acid grindhouse uh, uh, trip. Um, it seems like he's just leaning into this weird, this, this uh, basically Nicholas Cage can't be in normal movies anymore. No, I think that his, in a nor- the yeah. last five years of his career have been like the most fascinating. Like he's he's not he's so far away from the national treasures, you know that it is just it is just beyond the pale. Like like yeah. I love the past yeah. five years, and I know that this this film actually sold today. I believe. Um, so before the festival even kicks off, this film sold to a distributor. So oh, so we'll be able to so see it at some point. It? Yeah, so that's exciting. Nice. Yeah, really exciting. And um, again, some of the most interesting stuff to come out of um, out of Sundance is like from foreign directors who aren't too washed out in the American studio system or the American way of creating stories, and. Um, and yeah, Nicolas Cage, like you said, with uh, National Treasure, something like that, where he's playing the straight laced hero. That guy's gone. Mm-hmm. Like that, he's not doing that anymore. And he's j- he just has to be batshit crazy. He has to leap off the screen and be in your face. And it seems like the types of stories that facilitate that type of performance are these weird, violent grindhouse movies. So anything like that, I'm just on board for. I'm I'm, I'm here for it. A hundred percent. So. Those are the things that we're excited in uh, to see uh, coming out of Sundance this year. Now, I just wanted to stay on the subject of Sundance a little bit longer and talk about a couple more things. One, our, our own uh, personal Sundance experiences, our favorite Sundance experiences. And then two, what we think the best film to ever come out of Sundance is. So let's start with the, uh, the Sundance experience. Dan, do you have like a story or an experience that you can pinpoint that was your favorite experience at Sundance? Um. Well, I, w- I think I would have typically taken this time to discuss our screening of Green Room, but we, mm-hmm. we went over that when we talked about uh, our horror on our horror podcast. Mm-hmm. We kind of dived into that yeah. a little bit. So I wanted to push it back a little further. This is one of my first like true Sundance experiences, period. Um, mm-hmm. There was like a basketball game or a football game or something in high school. It must have been basketball because football wouldn't have been going on. Um, and just at the end of the game our friend Moses and I um, just decided, like, let's try to go see this screening of 500 Days of Summer. We don't really know what it's about. You know, 
we obviously don't have tickets, so we'll have to wait list it, but let's just try to go do it. Um, and so he and I like booked our asses from Roy High over to the Ogden Egyptian Theater, um, sat down in the waitlist line, and that is the only time I've successfully waitlisted at Sundance. Every other time, yeah, I have been unsuccessful at it. Um, and yeah, it was just a you know, it was a pretty magical thing. I was 17 years old, that was probably the first time I'd ever really sundanced on my own. Like, we used to be mm-hmm. able to go to the screenings with like our video production class and stuff, yeah, the field trips, yeah, yeah. But, but that was probably my first like true, like, okay, I'm gonna go and brave the 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 world of of independent cinema. So, mm-hmm. I think that would probably yeah. be, be my favorite experience, just given you know, that movie became kind of a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a bonkers screening. Everybody was really into the movie and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Moses and I just had a great time. So that's, that's a great, like f- first solo Sundance experience, mm-hmm. and, and, like that movie and stuff. Also just as a side, I don't want to get too in, in the weeds on this, but just as a sidebar, I think 500 days of summer is like one of the most misunderstood movies of all time. Oh, probably. And like still to this day, I see like weird think pieces online about like, Oh, Tom Tom is a dick in 500 Days of Summer. And I'm like, that's the point. That's the whole point of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's like the and it's like, oh, Zoe Deschanel is only gets cast in like these manic pixie dream girl roles. And I'm like, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the movie. <laughs> like they're they're building her up to be way more than she actually is. Yeah. Um anyway, I I love 500 Days of Summer still to this day. And that's a um I remember that I actually remember in high school, you guys went and saw that. And then we went to a pre-screening in Salt Lake and you guys were already talking that up. And so that was like one of the first times I remember like, oh, I had some friends that saw this and and I got personal hype. I didn't read it on the internet. It's like, I got friends that said, go see this movie. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and it is an awesome movie. So uh, my favorite uh, Sundance memory experience uh, comes from I think it was the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. And um, so 2018, I'm trying to think of the year that Reservoir Dogs came out because it's kind of centered around that. 92. I think that no, was. No, it's 2017. Yeah. Because it was the 25th anniversary of Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs was Quentin Tarantino's first film. came out in 1992 um, at the Sundance Film Festivals where it premiered. So... 2017 film Fe- Sundance Film Festival, uh, they decide that they're going to do a 35-millimeter uh, screening of Reservoir Dogs at uh, up in Park City. And uh, me and my girlfriend do this thing where we, we both are kind of anti-Christmas. We're not like anti-Christmas, but we just hate the pressure of the holidays. And so rather than <laughs> – he gave me the look there like, oh, be careful. You hate Christmas, huh? You hate America? I don't, I don't have problems. Say, fuck Christmas, man. <laughs> Christmas can go fuck itself. Um, but to, to kind of deflate some of the pressure of Christmas, we don't worry about gifts for each other. We take care of everyone else. We deal with all the pressures of Christmas. And then we find a week in January where we, get to, where we do binge miss. We save, we save a little bit of money, and then we go out, have some drinks, ha- like go hard on dinner, do all this stuff. And so this year at Sundance, we kind of did binge miss around this Reservoir Dogs screening in Park City. So we went to a restaurant, steak dinner, had a, a, a few more cocktails than we should have. And so we walked over to this. We, it was at a restaurant that was pretty close to the, the theater. Walked over the, or stumbled over to the theater. Um, she ended up using the men's room on accident, which was hilarious. So we were already primed for a pretty good night. And... Um, we, we get seated 
in the uh, Eccles Theater, sit down, and then Quentin Tarantino comes on stage, and he's like, uh, "We're really happy to 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 talk about this, or or to watch this movie, and uh, and show you guys a film print of it, which happens so rarely now nowadays." And um, and then afterwards, we'll do a Q and A with the producer. And then he's like, "Also, oh, we got a special guest. Michael Madsen's here, and who plays Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs." And he wasn't billed as gonna as, as someone who was gonna be there. He just showed up out of the you know goodness of his heart. And so we had Quentin Tarantino, Mr. Blonde, and Lauren Spender, the producer, um, at the screening. So lights go down, and Quentin Tarantino walks away from the podium that he was talking at, off the stage, into the audience, and sits in our row, and. The Eccles Theater is huge. It's pretty wide. And we were kind of on the far end. And then he was kind of towards the middle. So he was quite a ways away. We weren't sitting next to, next to each other. But during the movie, I could literally hear him laughing. Like, and Quentin Tarantino is like a dude who just doesn't give a shit what people think about him. And he's just going to have natural reactions. He's not going to reserve his natural reactions. So when he laughs at something, he's very animated. He's like, ah, <laughs> and like, I can literally hear him laughing at, and especially at things that aren't even funny in the movie. Like it'll just change shots and he'll just laugh at something. <laughs> I'm sure based on some personal memory that he had about shooting the film. Um, but just the, the combination of being able to watch Reservoir Dogs with Quentin Tarantino on film, which I kind of make fun of people that are like, super hardcore you know film purists mm -hmm. like when quentin T or not quentin tarantino uh, christopher nolan kind of gets up his own ass about film i kind of i kind of laugh at that stuff but like when you sit down and watch an actual film there is a difference yeah like, there is this feeling and also like the little cigarette burn circles at the bottom i remember that all the time growing up going to movies and you don't see that anymore so when you see it again you're like oh yeah that thing um it was just a really cool experience and then afterwards they all did this like really long Q and A, and they were talking about all these crazy things. He was literally pointing out all the stuff that was wrong with the movie. He was like, "In this scene, if you watch back, I left a walkie-talkie on the table. None of the characters had walkie-talkies. It was from the production. Like someone just left a walkie-talkie there." And um, I and also I love a debut. Like I will if if we're if we're making lists about movies or we're talking about which movie's better, I will often give more points to a movie if it's the first movie that someone made. Mm -hmm. So I just love that kind of, like, I haven't created a voice for myself, so I'm just going to go for it. That, and a lot of a lot of directors do that. And um, so Reservoir Dogs has always been one of my favorite movies, and that screening was just epic. Love it. So uh, now we're going to move into our discussion about the best Sundance films of all time. We don't have to go too long on this, but uh, I just wanted to get your opinion, Dan. Do you think you can pinpoint the best Sundance movie, or at least your favorite, to ever come out of Sundance? It is really tough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, speaking of bangers. debuts, Ryan Johnson, one of my favorite directors ever, his debut, Brick, premiered at Sundance. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's got to be up there. Yep. Obviously. There's three, actually. There's, there's so Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs, mm -hmm. Ryan Johnson, Brick, and then another favorite of mine, or no, two other favorites of mine, the Coen Brothers, Blood Simple, premiered at Sundance, and Paul Thomas Anderson's Heart Eight, all, all at Sundance. Then those are, like, the four biggest careers going on these days. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet that Taika Waititi's uh, Eagle versus Shark was at Sundance as well, or even his short That's film that was nominated for an Oscar. So I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of that going on. Um, I would probably have to say Brick and Reservoir Dogs and all those, The Lobster, like all of those aside, um, The Raid Two is probably my 
my single it. favorite uh, Sundance film. So <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you brought the raid too. I mean, it is just so. For those not familiar, the raid two is a sequel, obviously, to a uh, a low budget Indonesian action film that features the martial arts style called silat, which is very fascinating and very like like rough around the edges like i don't even know how to like karate kung fu uh taekwondo these things are kind of very fluid and pretty and i feel like i feel like silat is just like real in your face and it's like kind of yeah it it, it is visceral it is yes and so the raid 2 was the original movie that that uh the director wanted to create but he didn't have you know he couldn't get the budget for it so he made the first raid movie which is just like in and out action movie all the way through. The Raid mm-hmm. 2 brings in some very interesting, like Godfather esque um, gangster stories and some undercover cop stories. It's like a two and a half hour movie. Um, yeah, yeah. And it and it's I don't long. think it really wastes much of those minutes. So no. that would be probably my favorite of of the films that yeah. premiered at, at Sundance. Yeah, I'm really really glad that you brought up the Raid. I had it on my short list and. I, I was like, I, I bet Dan's going to choose The Raid. It is one of those movies that, like, we just threw on all the time, like, just randomly. Can't find anything to watch? Oh, we're just going to throw on The Raid. Yeah. And and it, it that movie moves. And it's one of the all-time movies that I keep, like, I'll just go onto YouTube, and I'm like, I want to watch the, uh, the, the, the Hammer Girl fight, mm-hmm. or I want to watch the kitchen fight at the end. And, like, if you're someone who loves really, really, really well-choreographed violence, like, this movie is like martial arts porn. It's amazing. And that's just um, kind of a testament to it. The fact that you could literally mm-hmm. probably name three other fight scenes that you've searched for on YouTube just from this one movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes to show that this yeah. this thing packs a literal punch. So, Oh, yeah. Hardcore. And uh, and also, it's like it almost had like no, no reason to be a good movie where it's like, okay, we're just going to make basically this bottle, this bottled up uh, movie that has this very specific structure where it's like there's going to be a raid on this building and every floor is like a new fight and it's pretty cut and dry. And then they're like, okay, we're going to make a sequel and we're going to expand a couple characters and we're going to turn it into like this, like almost like CSI thing. But instead of like chasing perps down alleyways, it's like martial arts fights and, and, um, and it like, it's almost like, are they, is, is this getting just way too convoluted? And then you watch it and you're like, nope, that was amazing. Yeah. Every, every minute of it was awesome. Uh, okay, so best Sundance films. Raid 2 I had on my short list. Brick. Um, Reservoir Dogs. I think you could make a case that Get Out might be the one of the greatest Sundance films of all time. I think you could too. I thought about it, but then I thought it's kind of like the Judas and the Black Messiah situation where they were like, let's just have it premiere there. Two weeks later, it's yeah. going to come out. Um, that's not to say it doesn't count. It's just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. does have like almost kind of has an asterisk next to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so I, I, I think if you're talking about the, the, the best film to come out of Sundance, just like as far as like cultural impact and like how insane that movie became, I think get out's a good, a good option. But I think for me personally, um, my favorite movie to come out of Sundance is probably brick. 
beautiful. I gotta go with brick, and it's and I'm and I and I bounce between brick and blood simple, but um, it's actually kind of funny. So, blood simple is a movie that came out in the mid '80s. I can't remember exactly the year, but it was Joel and Nathan Cohen's first movie, and the term blood simple um, comes from. Uh, a Dashiell Hammett novel. These, this is an author who made like uh, hard-boiled crime uh, novels in the uh, 1920s and 30s, like really old crime books. And blood simple is just a term that means you're, you're so used to seeing violence that it doesn't bother you anymore. Um, and the movie Brick is a movie about uh, a, a kid in high school trying to solve the disappearance of his girlfriend but it plays like a Dashiell Hammett novel. So everything, all the, all the dialogue that people are speaking, all the, all the dialogue inside the movie and the way that people speak sounds like a Humphrey Bogart movie from the 20s. And that's basically the kind of style, the stylistic flourish on this movie. And um, uh, um, the Coen brothers, huge Dashiell Hammett fans. Uh, Ryan Johnson is a huge Coen brothers fan. And I think through seeing Blood Simple, found out about Dashiell Hammett. And then when he started reading Dashiell Hammett's novels, that's when he got the idea for Brick. So it's kind of funny how all those things kind of tie into each other. Um, but Brick um, is just like, I don't think I've s- still seen, like, it's total genre. Like, it's, it's a total homage to, like, different things. Like, you almost have an homage to things like uh, 90s high school movies, like Cruel Intentions. Or the, the the more serious high school dramas, like you could almost, in a different time, say Brick was like an homage to something like Riverdale, like mm-hmm. it's the, it's the dark high school story, but of course real high school isn't this dark. And rather than trying to play into it and be like, oh yeah, we're this cool dark high school, which is like the high school of like the Blumhouse movie, you know, mm-hmm. um, it plays it like in this totally unique way where you recognize um, these these character arcs that you would find in detective stories. Like you have the 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 rough and tough police sergeant who's he's the guy that says, I, I want you to leave your gun and your badge and you're off the force. Except that character in Brick is the vice principal of yeah. the school. <laughs> yeah. And and like there the the secret society is in in that would exist in a detective novel are just like clicks in the high school. It's just like a click of rich athletes or something like that. And um, it really is like an incredible send up of genre and, but it feels completely wholly unique. And again, like the, the dialogue that he employs is just like such a cool stylistic flourish. And he still does that. Like in, in knives out, he's paying a lot of homage to like Agatha Christie movies and stuff. And, um, and genre tropes like the car chase, which is hilarious and knives out because they have this car chase down the freeway, which is not really a car chase. And then when it ends, Lakeith Stanfield, who we mentioned earlier, just gets out of the car and says, that was the stupidest police chase ever. <laughs> and it's kind of like this meta commentary on the film, but yeah, that's, that's, that's something that I'm like, I love Dashiell Hammett. I love the Coen brothers. And I feel like Brick kind of ties all that stuff together. And it's just, it seems like a movie and again, just, just the way it got made, like that movie I think was made for about $300,000 and they were just making it as they went along. And, and Ryan Johnson was lucky enough to have met uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, got him to star in it. And I think they were just out shooting stuff before they even were fully funded. 
And it's literally a dude just like on a shoestring budget making incredible work. And then obviously after he makes that, he goes on to make Brothers Bloom, Looper, and then directs a Star Wars movie. Mm. And then directs like probably the most successful original film from last year, or I guess 2019. Um, So yeah, I just love a debut. Ryan Johnson killed it with that one. And I still watch Brick at least once every few months. Yeah, it's a great one. One of my favorites of all time. Yeah, good stuff. So uh, if you need some stuff to watch this week, uh, go check that out, especially if you didn't get tickets uh, for Sundance because they uh, pretty much have all sold out, haven't they? I have not looked since I bought my tickets. but th- Pretty close. But like a few of the are... ones that I wanted to see were, were gone by the time I was I was there. So, Yeah. Um, so that's going to do it for, day, for today's show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And remember, you can watch the video version of the Holy Hive show on YouTube. Just make sure you subscribe. Um, also subscribe to us on iTunes. I think on, on, on Spotify, it's a follow and not a subscribe. Uh, so follow us on Spotify. If that's where you get your podcasts, then you can keep up with all of our content on Twitter and on Instagram at Holy Hive Utah. And uh, maybe next time we talk, we'll have seen when's, when's Judas and the Black Messiah? When is that movie? When is the Sundance screening for that? Monday, I think. Yeah. Anything Dan sees or I see at Sundance, we'll try to follow up with some, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's, completely kosher to spoil or talk about the entire movie. I know that we're probably not under watch by Sundance or anything, but we won't spoil it anyways. Uh, but we might follow up with some some uh, reviews from this year's Sundance. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week. 